Welcome to NeuroMatters, the brink of Alzheimer's with Dr. Sam Brinkman. Our program brings together individuals who struggle with Alzheimer's disease or other disorders and noted professionals who can provide answers and timely information related to these disorders. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Neuromatters, the Brink of Alzheimer's Disease. I am your host, Dr. Sam Brinkman, coming to you from Voice America, and I welcome you to the program. Today's topic is an interesting one. It's vascular dementia. Vascular dementia is uh, considered to be the second most common irreversible form of dementia, and it is thought to account for uh, either by itself or in conjunction with Alzheimer's disease, 20 to 30 percent of the irreversible dementias. It's interesting. Uh, vascular dementia 20 years ago was referred to as multi-infarct dementia, abbreviated MID. And infarct, shorthand for infarction, is a stroke. And so that term indicated that vascular dementia, as we call it today, was the result of multiple infarctions or multiple strokes. Before that time, it was called arteriosclerotic or atherosclerotic dementia, with the thought being that the buildup of atherosclerotic plaque in the arteries resulted in the decline in brain function. And then prior to that time, it was called hardening of the arteries of the brain. Some of you may have used, uh, heard that term in the past. So let's go back to the beginning. We talked in an earlier program about Alzheimer's and his identification of the microscopic neuropathology of Alzheimer's disease. This was uh, in uh, 1906, and in 1907, he actually published at a conference in Berlin. He cover, uh, published the results of his uh, research. From that time, 1907, on through to the late 1960s, Alzheimer's disease was considered to be a rare disorder. If you look at the neurology textbooks, it would generally say something like Alzheimer's disease is a rare degenerative disorder affecting people in their 40s and 50s and characterized by gradual onset, smooth progression, etc., in uh, 1968 and again in 1971, British researchers, Blessed, Tomlinson, and Roth, autopsied the brains of a large number of individuals who had died at various long-term care facilities, expecting to see this hardening of the arteries of the brain as being the cause of their dementia. Those individuals who had experienced a great deal of cognitive decline actually were found to have the microscopic hallmark of Alzheimer's disease, the beta amyloid plaque and the neurofibrillary tangles, and only a smaller percentage of all of those cases actually had the hardening of the arteries of the brain. And in fact, these researchers took it a step further to say that in most cases, there have to be specific strokes, even though they may be very small, multiple strokes to accumulate about 50 or so milliliters of uh, affected tissue before evidence of some type of a dementia might be identified. So up to that point, uh, vascular dementia called hardening of the arteries of the brain at that time, uh, was considered to be the most prominent of the irreversible dementias, and Alzheimer's disease was considered to be rare. Well, we now see that Alzheimer's disease is much more common, but we are 
increasingly appreciating the degree to which dementias are complicated by the uh, vascular system. And in fact, there's no requirement that only one condition exists in a person at one time. So Alzheimer's disease or um, dementia with Lewy bodies or something like that may actually coexist with the circulation problems in the brain as well. And uh, we are seeing this as more common than we previously thought. For research purposes, of course, um, the desire is to study pure cases, uncomplicated cases, cases who would have only Alzheimer's disease or only vascular dementia or only Lewy body disorder so that uh, we can understand those specific conditions more completely. But in the real world, you see multiple conditions existing together quite commonly. Uh, vascular disease has a lot of features similar to Alzheimer's disease, not the least of which is the memory problem that is commonly seen with uh, vascular dementia. In Alzheimer's disease, nearly always, I, I can't say always, but nearly always, many different aspects of memory are affected simultaneously. In other words, verbal memory is affected, memory for words, memory for what you have read, for example. Visual memory is affected. This would refer to memory for where something might be located in space or how you move geographically through the town to get to the place that you were wanting to get to. With vascular dementia, it's not uncommon to see more of one type of memory impairment than another. There may be verbal memory impairments while visual memory continues to be very good. Alternatively, there may be visual memory impairments in a, in a um, person in whom uh, verbal memory continues to be very good. So you see a more atypical development of memory disorders in vascular dementia compared to Alzheimer's disease. I would um, add to that as well that uh, vascular dementia, like Alzheimer's disease, uh, is associated with memory difficulties for recent events, but not for events from a long time ago. In other words, with either condition, a person is much more likely to remember something that happened 20 or 30 years ago than to remember something that happened 20 to 30 minutes ago. This is characteristic of uh, pretty much all neurologically based memory disorders. With vascular dementia, you may see confusion, you may see perceptual disturbance, in other words, difficulty making sense of what a person sees or hears. Uh, you may see difficulty with understanding situations, um, understanding an approach to solving a problem or formulating an approach to solve a, solving a problem, uh, difficulties with decision making. You have a somewhat increased risk of things like restlessness and agitation um, with vascular dementia in comparison to uh, Alzheimer's disease, at least in the earlier stages. Uh, often you will see an unsteady gait. Not unusual to see that when a person walks that uh, they would favor one leg or another. There may be weakness in um, one leg or another. You may um, also see 
more emotional change with vascular with vascular dementia, and especially that would include depression. You know, there are also some very interesting and very fascinating, and I might add somewhat unbelievable, symptom patterns that occur with vascular dementia, and these are not especially common, but are interesting, and we will talk about those during our third or fourth segment today. Uh, I thought that it might be of interest to all of you to um, have a discussion on some of the unusual symptoms that, that can occur with brain change. One of the greatest clinical features of vascular dementia that distinguishes it from Alzheimer's disease is the manner in which symptoms develop over time. And we will address that in just a couple of minutes. We have a caller, Anna. Anna, how are you this evening? Welcome to the program. Hi, Dr. Brinkman. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I guess you just started to touch on the question I was going to ask was about the difference. You've been talking about the similarities and differences in Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia. And I was just curious about uh, the progression long-term with vascular dementia um, and how how it it is similar and different to the progression long-term of Alzheimer's. You're asking a very good question, and you know, your question is important because it also raises the issue of why should we worry about whether it's vascular dementia or whether it's Alzheimer's disease. So, let me address your question as well as I can here. In the textbook case, vascular dementia tends to have a pretty sudden onset. Almost overnight, a person will lose an ability. That ability may involve something like writing or performing calculations, or it may result in some aspect of speech or visual spatial functions. But typically, the onset is very sudden and immediate, and the time of onset is pretty easy to identify. With Alzheimer's disease, on the other hand, the onset is just very slow and very gradual to the point that things have progressed for one or two years before the family begins to understand that there's a problem to deal with. So the first distinction is in the onset of the disorder. The second distinction is how it progresses from there. With vascular dementia, we talk about what's called a stepwise progression. So while there is some decline in some aspect of cognitive functioning, the person then remains relatively stable. Then there will be another sudden overnight change, then a period of stability for a while after that. So that stepwise progression distinguishes vascular dementia from Alzheimer's disease. Um, Unfortunately, vascular dementia can also Uh, progress very similarly to the manner in which Alzheimer's disease progresses. And um, uh, what you would see in a case like that is just a slow, steady, smooth progression. But Anna, you're asking a very good question. I appreciate that question. And it suggests to me that uh, you may have some background in this area. A little bit. I'm still a student. Well, I wish you the the very best of fortunes in future with your studies, and I thank you for calling in to bring this interesting question up. Thanks, Dr. Brinkman. Call back anytime, Anna. So, with this uh, stepwise progression of Alzheimer's disease, often you will see that um, happening in... Um, uh, 
it in the context of almost stroke-like symptoms. And in fact, there, the person may actually be having a stroke at those times. But if that stroke does not occur in an area of the brain that controls movement or sensation, it often will be overlooked. Uh, people may consider that the individual was tired at that point or worried about something, had something else on his or her mind. And so um, without clearly lateralizing motor movement, in other words, and sensory changes, it's unclear whether a stroke has actually taken place. Well, we are going to go to a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk more about how vascular dementia progresses. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Every day we face struggles and issues concerning addiction, whether it's ourselves, family members, friends, or other loved ones. On Overcoming Addiction, Hope with Prevention, Intervention, and Treatment, Dr. Joe Terhar helps us all better understand the causes and approaches to addressing addiction with the knowledge that no single approach is 100% effective. From guest experts, families, and addicts, you'll hear about what is and is not working in overcoming addiction. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. We are back. Thank you for staying with us. I hope that the program this evening will be informative to you and will be helpful to you for, for those of you who are um, somehow affected by Alzheimer's disease, vascular dementia, or one of these many other types of disorders that can lead to such cognitive change. 
It might be helpful to understand vascular dementia by talking first about strokes and what a stroke is. Uh, there are a number of different types of strokes that can occur. The most common is called an infarction. And with an infarction, basically what happens is an artery is blocked for whatever reason and the brain structures that are supplied by that artery then begin to deteriorate and to die. So that um, uh, area of stroke would be then called infarcted tissue. Many different types of symptoms can occur from a stroke and um, we have learned over the years that different parts of the brain control different aspects of our functioning. Therefore, depending on what part of the brain has had an infarction, the symptoms will vary. The symptoms may involve language systems if certain left hemisphere structures of the brain are affected. In most people, there um, is the rare situation in which a person has language more organized in, in the right hemisphere of the brain, but uh, um, if language structures are affected, then the initial symptom from this infarction or stroke would be a change in language input, in other words, understanding language, or change in the ability to speak clearly or articulate clearly, or to uh, provide meaningful word combinations in the appropriate grammar and syntax so that it would make sense. In other individuals, a stroke may occur in an area that involves predominantly vision. This is a stroke that may occur in the visual centers of the brain or in the um, long pathways from the back of the eyeball to the back of the head, this long pathway that carries the visual information to the visual cortex or gray matter that begins the decoding of visual information. If uh, the stroke occurs in an area that involves sensation on one part of the body or movement on one part of the body, of course, then deficits would be seen in those areas. So, depending on where an infarction occurs, the symptoms uh, will vary. Sometimes these infarctions can occur silently. By that, I mean that there is no overt evidence, there is no clear evidence of a paralysis on one side of the body or one part of the body or other similar type of things such as loss of consciousness or um, a sudden speech arrest, for example. Um, so this infarction or these infarctions may occur and eventually Others recognize that there has been a significant change in the individual's problem-solving or thinking or memory or use of uh, more complex language and things like that. When these silent strokes occur over time and the amount of tissue that actually has experienced a stroke increases, then the dementia may emerge. And this is of course, why vascular dementia was termed multi-infarct dementia. There's another manner, however, in which this can come about. There are some conditions that will cause a blood vessel a blood vessel to not allow as much blood to flow through as it should. Commonly, of course, this would be due to atherosclerosis. Um, 
hardening of the arteries, but other conditions may uh, result in this as well, such as uh, continued hypertension, diabetes, and things along those lines. When this happens, um, there is not so much a stepwise progression, but there is a slower and smoother progression of deficits. So we might consider then that vascular dementia is that special case of strokes or infarctions that is not actually identified as a stroke. Alternatively, a person may have a stroke, have deficits in movement and in cognitive functioning and potentially in other areas and be recovering from that and then have a progressive decline in abilities from there, either a smooth decline or a more stepwise decline. There are several possibilities that would explain that. One, of course, is that the circulation into the infarcted area is intermittently interrupted and the infarcted, infarcted area grows larger. Another is that there may be infarctions occurring elsewhere in the brain so that the brain's ability to reorganize and continue to try to manage um, the functions that had previously been managed by the infarcted areas simply becomes eroded. You know, what might be termed cognitive capacity or reserve capacity or something like that. So that may be an explanation for it. Another explanation that is non-unusual is basically this. Uh, I have mentioned before on the program that the neuropathology, the microscopic brain changes of Alzheimer's disease are thought to exist 20 or 25 years before the symptoms begin to emerge. However, during that 20 to 25 years, if some new problem comes up, like a stroke, that may also cause the unmasking or the revealing of the disease process that has been slowly developing over the years. Thus, a person may have a stroke and have a progressive decline, which would be associated with Alzheimer's disease as well as the stroke. So uh, this explains uh, why you may get different types of symptom pictures with vascular dementia and also why you do not always see that stepwise progression of deficits but may see a more steady progression. Um, so the infarction is the most common type of stroke. Uh, the embolic stroke is another kind, and this tends to occur in conditions in which, for example, there may be a cardiac dysrhythmia causing blood to pool, the, the word pool, P-O-O-L, blood pools together, and when it's not moving, the clotting process begins. Uh, microscopic clots then are dispersed into the brain when the blood again moves, and um, this may cause a pattern of very small strokes uh, throughout the uh, um, the distribution of the arteries carrying the um, microinfarction, uh, the microemboli. So we are not all at equal risk for having vascular dementia. Let's review some of the risk factors. Uh, first of all, of course, increasing age. Vascular dementia is very rare before the age of 65. It's not unheard of, and there are some individuals who may have a strong family history of cerebrovascular disease and um, uh, with onset early in life, but very unlikely that vascular dementia would develop before age 65. But the risk does increase substantially as you get into your 80s and 90s. 
Any prior history of a cardiovascular problem or cerebrovascular problem, or I might add peripheral vascular problem as well, would increase the risk of having vascular dementia. Obviously, a heart attack which occurs when an infarction, there's that word again, infarction occurs with the heart muscle, which is essentially um, the same thing as what happens in the brain with brain tissue. Uh, when that infarction occurs, of course, there is increased risk for developing vascular dementia. Uh, TIAs, sometimes referred to as mini-strokes, a TIA is called a transient ischemic attack. Ischemic, ischemia refers to the uh, loss of oxygen and nutrient delivery into an area of tissue. So a transient ischemic attack, by definition, means that a person develops stroke-type symptoms that then recover within 24 hours. Um, the uh, next step up in the gradation of these vascular events would be the RIND, reversible ischemic neurologic deficit. By definition, this means that stroke-like symptoms develop and persist more than a day, but clear up completely within seven days. And of course, if symptoms persist past the seven days, then it's considered to be a completed stroke. So in terms of risk factors, a history of a heart attack, a history of a stroke, a history of TIAs or mini strokes or an RIND, all um, indicate that there is an increased risk for vascular dementia. I mentioned peripheral vascular disease. Uh, there uh, are arteries that go to all areas of the body, and any of these arteries can become diseased through atherosclerosis or through some other condition, and a person can then develop uh, peripheral problems such as rest pain in the feet, uh, decreased pulses in the feet, uh, and things along these lines. And so uh, if there is a history of peripheral vascular disease, certainly the risk of cerebrovascular disease in the form of vascular dementia is increased significantly. High cholesterol, in other words, increased levels of the low-density lipoprotein, what often is referred to as the bad cholesterol, also is associated with an increased risk of vascular dementia. We um, have talked previously on this program about uh, hypercholesteremia or elevated cholesterol levels, uh, also increasing the risk of development of Alzheimer's disease. High blood pressure also increases the risk for developing vascular dementia, as does diabetes. Diabetes um, is a complicated condition that uh, affects organs throughout the body, and that would include the blood vessels and, of course, the uh, portions of the brain supplied by those blood vessels. Smoking provides direct damage to blood vessels and increases the risk of atherosclerosis and vascular problems generally, and that would include then vascular dementia. I had mentioned heart rhythm problems earlier, and atrial fibrillation is one of the things that does increase the risk of a stroke and therefore increases the risk of vascular dementia. In essence, the blood pools in a portion of the heart, begins to clot, and then is pushed out through the vascular system. 
So obviously, one of the very critical things to address when talking about managing risk factors for vascular dementia is managing cardiovascular risk factors generally. We have talked on this program about a number of different uh, uh, activities involved in that, including maintaining adequate physical exercise, maintaining an appropriate diet, managing blood pressure, cessation of smoking, uh, so many things along those lines, and especially if you are diabetic. Um, very close management of the diabetes as well. So having looked at these risk factors and having seen that at least some of them are manageable, that would increase the hope that one could uh, um, avoid the eventuality of vascular dementia. We are going to go to break now, and when we return, we're going to talk about the treatment of vascular dementia. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Can grief be good for you? Absolutely. It gets your attention, helping you evaluate your choices and relationships. Your losses define who you are. Tune in each week for Good Grief with host Cheryl Jones. Our show features those who have made incredible transformations by grieving their losses. You'll learn how to find your courage and strength. You'll discover the important things in your life and how to let go of things that are less important. Good Grief airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You are listening to Neuromatters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuromatters. 
Welcome to our discussion of vascular dementia. I am thankful to you for staying with us. And we are now going to talk a little bit about the treatment of vascular dementia. And as I go into this topic, I want to talk about how brain tissue recovers after a stroke. Two concepts that I will introduce you to. The first one is called neuroplasticity, and the other one is called collateral circulation. So let's talk about each of these. Neuroplasticity refers to the ability of the brain to regenerate physically, to reorganize conceptually, and to recover abilities that are lost after some type of an injury to the brain. The concept of neuroplasticity refers to stroke, but it would refer to other conditions such as blunt or penetrating trauma as well. We know that neuroplasticity has a number of different components. Some of these involve uh, changes that occur on little receptor molecules on the membrane of a neuron, and some of these involve growing new connections between neurons. If a neuron in a network has died, some of the surrounding neurons may sprout little um, arches or little pieces of um, uh, axonal structures into that area that has been evacuated by the by the dead neuron and with the appropriate training and rehabilitation that can potentially become a functionally very useful new neural connection um, so certainly the receptor changes and certainly growth of new brain structures is important to recovering of function following a stroke. And this is among many concepts under the heading of neuroplasticity. Now collateral circulation. You know, I have been fascinated by the study of the brain for 40 years, and I am so fascinated by its adaptability. And collateral circulation is one of those things that comes into play during recovery following a stroke. Circulation, you understand. Collateral simply means other vascular structures, other circulation structures or blood vessels that may already be in that area or may grow anew to provide nutrient into the area that has been stroked. The arteries that deliver blood to the brain, the two carotid arteries along the sides and the front part of the neck, and the two vertebral arteries that go up through the vertebral bodies in the neck all come together at the base of the brain and form something called a circle of Willis. And um, as this circle of Willis remains healthy, if one of those major arteries through the neck is injured, the other arteries can provide the necessary circulation so that there will not be any change in how the brain is functioning. So circulation through the circle of Willis to the major arteries of the brain is one of the mechanisms through which circulation is reestablished or maintained. The other is the redevelopment or the development of new vascular structures, new small arteries when an older artery has become diseased and no longer functions well. This is regulated by the brain, by the brain structures, and this is a process that takes place in all parts of the body, actually. When the uh, circulation is cut off through one artery, many 
parts of the body have the ability to grow new vascular structures in order to reestablish the delivery of oxygen and, and nutrients into the organ that is requiring that. So we have these natural processes that are taking place. And for those to be maximally effective, of course, the rest of the body has to stay healthy. When a person has had a stroke, whether it be a silent stroke or an identified stroke, when a person has had a stroke, it is very important to maintain appropriate blood pressure, to maintain appropriate nutrients, to maintain adequate rest, to uh, maintain good cardiac health, to give the brain and the vascular structures the maximum opportunity to recover uh, functions that have been lost in neuroplasticity and collateral circulation. Now, a part of the process of rehabilitation, of course, is to facilitate the process of neuroplasticity as neurons begin to grow new processes into evacuated areas uh, or when new connections are made, it is important that those connections be trained up appropriately so that the functions that they produce are not a problem. Some have thought, for example, that this axonal regrowth or this uh, sprouting of, of new um, growths into an evacuated area may in some ways account for spasticity following a stroke. So, and there's some evidence to support that. Not all uh, are in agreement with that, but the um, management of neuroplasticity is a lot of what acute and subacute rehabilitation is about. So when we consider vascular dementia and we understand where the strokes have taken place that are resulting in the problems that the person is experiencing, problems of memory or of perception or of language or control of movement or formulating plans or being flexible in problem solving, as we identify uh, what the problems are and what the brain structures are involved. And as we identify as well, what other brain structures are available to be trained to pick up some of those functions, then we can use conventional rehabilitation services to address these things. So obviously, if a person is experiencing vascular dementia with language problems being a prominent part of that, a referral to speech and language pathology would be the appropriate referral. The fact that it carries the term dementia does not mean that rehabilitation services would not be helpful for many perceptual types of disturbances and some of the more uh, complex fine motor tasks that might be lost due to vascular dementia, occupational therapy can be very helpful. For the larger body movements, for independent mobility, for safe mobility, preventing falls and things like that, um, then physical therapy is obviously the appropriate referral to make for an individual with vascular dementia, which demonstrates the pattern of deficits that would be um, uh, characteristic of these areas. Medications may also be used. We have talked about two classes of medications used for Alzheimer's disease. The first class um, are medications which inhibit a particular enzyme. In other words, they keep this enzyme from breaking down the neurotransmitter acetylcholine. Recall that acetylcholine is the primary neurotransmitter involved in memory systems. So if the enzyme that breaks the acetylcholine down is inhibited, 
then the acetylcholine is more abundantly available to perform its function longer. There are several medications in this category. The most widely used is donepezil or Aricept, as the brand name is. Then we also have galantamine, the brand name of that is Razidine, and we have rivastigmine, the brand name of that is Exelon. Interestingly, Exelon is also available as a skin patch as well as as an oral medication, and um, that has certain advantages in some situations. But each of these medications, while not specifically uh, approved by FDA for use with vascular dementia have been used and have been used with some success depending on the symptom pattern, especially vascular dementia, which involves a lot of memory difficulty and judgment difficulty, one would expect the acetylcholinesterase inhibitors to be effective. The other one that is used for vascular dementia is memantine or Namenda, as its brand name is, N-A-M-E-N-D-A. Namenda has a protective action for the brain. It inhibits uh, a certain toxic process, um, which the mechanism of which is excessive um, excitation of neurons. And as Namenda does have that neuroprotective effect, the thought is that it may be helpful in vascular dementia as well with uh, protecting residual neurons and enabling them to continue to function well. So um, these are the medications that may be used, again, not um, as uh, um, approved by FDA, but as what is called an off-label use, may be used to help with some of the symptoms of vascular dementia the acetylcholinesterase inhibitors, and uh, Namenda, or the generic memantine. So when we talk about treating vascular dementia, then we are looking at using conventional rehabilitation services. We're also looking at neuropsychological rehabilitation services, certain types of cognitive training that may be done, or certain types of compensatory training that may be done that will hopefully enable the person to accomplish the goal of what he or she wants to accomplish, but using other brain structures to accomplish that goal, the rehabilitation services and the medications. Now, I mentioned earlier that there are some unusual symptoms that can occur with strokes, and uh, since it occurs with strokes, uh, these symptoms can occur in vascular dementia as well, and I thought it might be interesting to discuss a few of these. There is a term that we use called agnosia. A-G-N-O-S-I-A. The prefix A means without, and the rest of the word comes from the root word gnosis, the word from which we get diagnosis, prognosis, um, agnostic in, um, in terms of uh, theological beliefs. The gnosis term refers to knowing. And so, agnosia refers to the loss of the ability to know. So, it's an, it's an interesting phenomenon that we see happen very commonly. It happens in Alzheimer's disease as well, but it happens in some uh, very interesting ways in vascular dementia. As we um, discuss these, 
um, I will hopefully be able to explain them in a way that's meaningful to you and share the fascination that I've experienced over the years with understanding how the brain organizes such complex processes and then reorganizes itself when something has gone wrong in the brain. So we will talk about some of these agnosias when we return from our break in just a couple of minutes. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Where did I put my keys? What was I supposed to pick up at the grocery store? Why did I forget that appointment? These and other experiences cause us to wonder whether we or our loved ones are experiencing normal memory changes with age or whether we are developing significant cognitive deficits. The Gray Matters system provides an efficient, economical, accurate approach to monitoring memory and executive functioning in older adults who are at increased risk of developing dementia. Gray Matters may be used in a primary medical care setting, long-term care facilities, retirement communities, and other settings. The system allows for determining whether an individual's memory abilities and executive functioning are in the expected range for age and education, and whether these abilities have changed significantly over time. As a result, older individuals can be given the assurance that they are maintaining good brain health. Gray Matters is a caring, proactive approach to managing the worries of cognitive decline in older persons. Gray Matters. Screen for memory disorders or forget it. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to Neuro Matters, the brink of Alzheimer's. To reach Dr. Brinkman or his guest expert today, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send questions or comments about the show via email to sdbrinkman at hotmail.com. Now, back to Neuro Matters. We are back and we are discussing vascular dementia. And before the break, I introduced the concept of the agnosias. Agnosias. Uh, being symptom patterns that occur following different types of neurological disorders um, seen differently in vascular dementia usually than the manner in which it is seen in Alzheimer's disease and involving a disturbance of complex perception. So the key thing in understanding agnosias is to understand the relationship between a sensory system and the interpretation of that sensory system. We have in our eyes marvelous cellular structures uh, called rods and cones. We have these retinal structures that interrelate with each other um, and react to patterns of light and patterns of movement and things like that and convey that information on back into the occipital cortex, the back of the head, where the understanding of that information begins to take place. And so someone with visual agnosia would be someone who is having difficulty making sense of or understanding or appreciating what he or she is seeing. Uh, 
It's a, a difficulty not with vision, but with understanding or interpreting. Similarly, sounds come to our ears, they are decoded, and they are sent to the temporal lobe cortex where the de the decoding process and the comprehension process begins and so someone who cannot understand what the sound is that they are hearing it may be a honking horn a barking dog or something like that but the person is unable to interpret what the sound is, we might consider them as having auditory agnosia. The same thing is seen in other sensory systems as well. Well, there are some interesting things with the agnosias that can come up in vascular dementia. And one of these goes by the term prosopagnosia. Uh, this comes from a Greek word referring to face. So prosopagnosia is a failure of facial recognition. A person may see the face, but not recognize that face and understand who that person is. This is the type of symptom that can be quite upsetting to family members. You do tend to see prosopagnosia very late in Alzheimer's disease. Um, and I know that family members ask often how long will he or she recognize me or know who I am. Uh, well, typically that's not something that is seen until very late in Alzheimer's disease, but it may be seen earlier in the process of uh, vascular dementia. If these infarctions occur in certain portions of the parietal lobes of the brain, the lateral surfaces of the brain, um, then the ability to comprehend that face uh, may be compromised, and we would refer to that as prosopagnosia. Now, that may mean not understanding who the person is. It may mean not recognizing that you know that person on the basis of their face. Lesser symptoms might include understanding or comprehending the expression on that face. If you consider the way that a face looks when a person is surprised, when a person is sad, when a person is angry, when a person is happy. All of these different facial expressions involve the same portions of the face, but the configuration of those portions of the face changes. Surprise might include, for example, raising of the eyebrows. Anger, there will be a lowering of the eyebrow, a different set of the jaw, a different uh, positioning of the mouth, and, and things along those lines. Well, in reality, interpreting or understanding those emotions that are portrayed by that face is a very, very complicated task. And um, prosopagnosia, therefore, is not a real uncommon disorder. Another disorder that I might mention is called somatotope agnosia. Somato refers to body, tope refers to the topography or the geographic layout, and of course, agnosia refers to not knowing. Somatotope agnosia has to do with not understanding the body parts. It may involve not understanding that a hand is a hand, or a foot is a foot, or it may involve something like not even recognizing that this hand that the patient is looking at is his or her own hand. So, a very uh, unusual symptom when you first encounter it, but not a real uncommon symptom in vascular dementia or with uh, uh, status post-stroke. Another thing that's seen occasionally um, 
and is not uncommon at all, is something called hemispatial neglect. Consider that the space surrounding you comprises 360 degrees of space. In other words, it exists all around you. And even when you can't see what is behind you, you are aware of the existence of space behind you. You know that there is uh, something behind you, there are objects there, the floor that you're standing on continues behind you, etc. With hemispatial neglect, there is a loss in the appreciation of or the recognition of one half of space. Nearly always that occurs on the left side. With uh, certain left hemisphere strokes, it occurs, uh, I'm led to understand perhaps 10% of the time uh, where there's loss of appreciation of the right hemispace or the right half of space. But the loss of the left half of space with right hemisphere strokes is much more common. And there are a number of different locations in that right hemisphere where a stroke might occur that would give rise to that symptom picture. Now, just as a little aside, consider looking at a door that has written on it W-O-M-E-N and consider what would happen if you only saw the M-E-N part. This has been known to happen. A person with hemispatial neglect may go into the women's bathroom because the person did not see the W-O part of that word since the left hemispace did not exist. So hemispatial neglect is a very interesting disorder and also, by the way, a disorder that's associated with a lot of injury, moving uh, moving about through a room and bumping into objects on the left or going through a doorway and uh, bumping into the left side of the door jam, for example, may result in injuries and falls. A couple of other aspects of vascular dementia that I might mention quickly. The first of these is called pseudobulbar emotions. Pseudo, uh, you understand that word. Bulbar refers to what are called the cranial nerve nuclei of the brain. Um, these are the nuclear centers that control sensation and movement of uh, many parts of the face and head. So pseudobulbar crying or laughing. We understand emotional expression in terms of facial expression and in terms of vocalizations that may occur, laughing after a joke, for example, in terms of um, overall postural changes and things like that. So we have these emotional response patterns in our brain. Well, under pseudobulbar conditions, what happens is the emotional response pattern gets kicked off, but the emotion does not go along with it. So the patient may laugh or may cry, but is not really feeling sad or feeling happy or feeling angry or whatever it is that is portrayed. Very interesting condition, pseudobulbar crying or laughing. It can be very upsetting to family members again because it has such an important role in the relationship, but but um, uh, it uh, and family members will respond as if the person is feeling the emotion they're portraying. But in, re in reality, with this condition, the person is not experiencing that emotion. Interesting discussion. We have some some good programs coming up. 
and I hope you will enjoy them. Uh, we are looking at a program next month that will involve communicating with people with memory disorders. Uh, we will have a program that we're trying to arrange right now on Lewy body disorder or dementia with Lewy bodies. Um, a uh, neurologist from Austin, Texas, Dr. Ron DeVere, is going to be here to discuss an excellent book that he has written, Memory Loss, Everything You Wanted to Know But Forgot to Ask. So I hope that these upcoming programs will be enjoyable to you. I'm grateful to you for listening in to Voice America this afternoon, this evening, and I look forward to being back with you again next week. Thank you very much, and have a good evening. Thank you for listening to Neuro Matters, the Brink of Alzheimer's. Please join Dr. Sam Brinkman again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again next week.